I'm Alka Khuri and host of the podcast South Asian Films and Books. I'm also a faculty at the University of Washington Bothell teaching film literature gender and human rights. In South Asian Films and Books, I'm going to look at how South Asian writers and filmmakers explore some of the major issues and help us make sense of the world that we inhabit. From politics to culture, each episode looks at a topic that impacts and shapes the lives of people living in South Asia and its diasporas. This is South Asian Films and Books, an original podcast broadcast from Seattle. Subscribe to South Asian Films and Books as soon as possible so you don't miss a single episode. My guest today is the award-winning film director Kanu Behel, a graduate of the Kolkata-based Satyajit Ray Film Academy, whose second feature film Agra will have its world premiere at the 2023 Cannes Directors Fortnight. This is the second time that Behel's work is being celebrated in France. as his first feature film Titli was screened at the Uncertain Regard section of the Cannes Film Festival written by Behel and Atika Chauhan Agra is an exploration of sexual dynamics within a family and the deep dystopian fractures created in a modern India fast shrinking into pigeonhole spaces Kanu Behel is currently in France and he joins me from Paris welcome to the podcast thank you so much for having me Your work is disruptive at many levels. It subverts families, people, communities, and by extension the nation and the state that in varying degrees are largely romanticized in mainstream cinema, promoting imaginary lives of people in an imaginary nation. Your work shows this world unraveling through the trope of a decayed and decaying patriarchy that no longer holds the core. In Titli, for example, in the absence of comfort, care or the moral order supposedly provided by parents or the father, the family cracks at the seams, with the characters fleeing their testosterone-driven, crime-infested, carjacking family. In Agra, you locate the narrative once again in this brutal urban nightmare, offering an unforgiving wretchedness to the city and the characters, broken, desperate, leading transactional lives, each out to get the other what inspires you to paint this dystopia i think for me it's not so much a structural uh, exploration at first every idea that i tried to play with whether it was you know some of the writing that i contributed to in terms of uh, love sex or doka or with titli or binu ka sapna or now with agra i think the first inspiration is always a very human call to help and i think my in into any work tends to be a deep personal feeling that i'm feeling and so for me really i think titli and agra are two very different pieces they might be slightly connected with the little bit of setting that they might feel like you're in but i think when i started exploring the idea of agra for me the central impulse that i was feeling was certain sexual repression and the refusal to talk about uh, sexuality that we see in the indian culture uh, and in the indian environs and a certain delayed sexual maturity which i was feeling you know encompasses a lot of the male figures including me i went through it myself and i felt it and i saw it in a lot of young boys almost men you know even till 25 26 you feel that delayed sexual maturity and so I was really trying to understand where this sexual repression comes from and to me the film started flowering when I tried to see it through a larger lens and 
the idea of our physical spaces affecting our sexuality and our sexuality in turn affecting our physical spaces and the relationship between the two the moment i hit on that i think it became really interesting because i was also trying to find a larger in into what is this central human impulse that all of us feel in this sense the protagonist is perhaps uh, male and probably because that's the point of view that i am personally most intimate with and i feel i can express with the most loyalty some of the thematic examples that you set up when we just sort of started this i think those are almost inevitable those are related to the broader cultural constructs that we might see ourselves in and they are uh, almost inevitable even if you don't want to you end up barging into them in your journey to tell a story but for me titli was a piece about family about circularity about violence and how you know images pass on from one person to the other generationally that was my piece about family but agra for me is really a piece about sexuality repression desire the myriad cracks of desire of other transactionalities that sit underneath and reveal themselves in our most intimate moments with each other when two people are naked with each other and they're looking for some sort of a honest union uh, what else do we find in that moment i was really interested in exploring those human moments and of course when you put it in the context of the physical space aspect then it does get some sort of broader context for why we feel what we feel in our most secret moments but those are the aspects that i was really wanting to play with in the film and of course patriarchy and you know some of the other stuff that you spoke about you also feel it because that's the socio political cultural context larger context that our country exists in and we do feel their presence but that's not what i was trying to sort of rock at in terms of the core of agra your work offers a layered examination of masculine anxiety the emergence of neoliberal economy in india by opening a host of opportunities for women in urban spaces has had the unintended cultural consequence of shifting the traditional gender equation with men losing their centuries of unearned patriarchal privilege we're witnessing a rise of hypermasculinity as a defensive response to the rise of gender equality and the resulting erosion of economic and social certainties modi's forceful majoritarian masculinist discourse has inspired a generation of men to perform an anti-minority majoritarian politics on the streets of india this loss of the patriarchal core takes on a persona which is epitomized in the shape of violent aggression in anurag kashyap's work and to some extent in your film titli agra on the other hand surfaces a masculinity which is in a state of crisis men are marginal oppressed vulnerable and barely visible the father once again devoid of a moral core is only a hollowed out patriarchal shell guru the central character doesn't engage in the dominant performative masculinity that one often sees on indian streets and on indian screens he's shown to be beaten down by his mother and manipulated by his sister who together undermine rather than celebrate his heteronormative male privilege and frequently he's shown to be given into weeping talk about that talk about this difference hmm that's an interesting question yeah i mean to be honest i hadn't thought about it that way for me it was really going on a journey with this character who was 
finding it really difficult to be able to express himself and express the sexual repression within the house so for me it's really the film in many ways is sort of first a reverse coming of age it's about a sensitive young man who doesn't really have the vocabulary to be able to talk about all the repression that he sees around himself so he has this father as you said we almost meet the father at the cusp of his decay as you meet him for the first time he was almost this fading womanizer you're sensing that he's about to decay but he has a woman who he lives with and she chooses to live with him and here is a young man who sleeps in the same room with his mother and of course the mother chooses to live with the father and the mistress in the same house so here are three people who are not acknowledging what's really going on between them and as a result within the house and this character who senses this repression within the house but doesn't quite know how to talk about it so in his own fucked up way without having the vocabulary he's the only one who's trying to voice it by saying meri girlfriend hai mala main usse shaadi karunga aur main uske sath rahunga jaise aap rehte ho main bhi waise hi kamra banaunga so in essence without quite knowing how to do it he's saying what the fuck is going on in this house and why are you not talking about it why is no one talking about it and as this plays out and with this sort of structural pain that he's seeing around him he is also trying to deal with his own sexuality where it almost becomes an odyssey of trying to find some sort of expression to be able to be in an honest moment with another woman and while on that journey he makes several mistakes and gets his heart broken badly which leads him into another dastardly act but as a result when he does meet eventually an older woman you know for me it was really interesting that the gaze on him from all the other members within this family was that he's the damaged boy whereas or he's the crazy boy he's the madman whereas for me they are all as mad if not more crazy uh, or mad than him it's a literal mad house but here's a meeting of a externally damaged um, uh, mentally damaged boy with an older perceived physically damaged woman and in their union in their some sort of honest union they are finding a hole because suddenly these two damaged people and i'm saying damaged in double quotes you know the people who look at them as damaged are finding some sort of solace in this weird romance or relationship whatever you want to call it with each other and from there he does find some sort of honesty in that relationship but is cast into doubt again with this external structure and in the end unable to find where the truth really lies does she love him or does she not he eventually gives in to the larger transactionality of the world but also in a coming of age grown up sort of a way where he goes and and essentially tells his father and his family that listen if this is all you want if you want the five story phallic house and that's all you desire if you desire just the you know symbolic dick of the construction of the five stories then let me show you how it's done because the world that we live in today any transaction cannot be done the way you are doing you cannot just simply get another woman and hope to get your five story house in today's world if you want what you need there's an amputation at play so in that sense the long transaction of the film with the builder where he says acha do floor dead floor nahi dhai floor 
the base of the house is sold out. So the base of this uh, hollow structure where people invest their dreams in a house, but really the people within the house are not truly a family or not one. Their small transactional dreams are invested in the building of this house. I thought that taking his family who accepts even the other woman for the sake of the house that they're getting, it's almost like him taking his whole family on an amputative journey and saying, okay, if this is what you want, this is what you shall get. But it's not going to be your whole dream. The base is going to be sold out. There's going to be someone else sitting underneath the neve of our house. And I'll give you a really small example of using uh, Yogi Adityanath's speech in one of the scenes as he enters the house. You know, the first scene at the internet cafe where he meets Preeti for the first time. After that, he comes to the house and he enters the house and the mistress is crying. And there's a loud speech that you can hear in the neighborhood. And uh, you can clearly hear who it is. And so obviously this world is playing out around them. I think to answer your question, at the base of what my reading of this situation is that I feel behind all the external sort of alpha playout of the right wing, if you can call it that, if you want to group it as some sort of a fluid whole, I'm slightly wary of generalizing here, but still... I would still say if behind the external veil of this uh, alpha male that we see that is also shrieky and loud and violent and plays out and acts out, that I feel is a public persona. You know, if you really truly go behind it and inside it into first the private lives of some of these men or these people, maybe some women also, and further deeper into their secret lives, I think you really find some scared people there who are trying desperately to come to terms with a degree of unfulfilled desire and needs at various levels, let's say economically, some sort of uh, disenfranchisement. So I think the rise of the right wing also couples and sinks very nicely with a very deep economic disenfranchisement that we had started seeing in our country. And so I think it will be really a disservice on our part to just dismiss a group of people and say, oh, they're uh, alpha or they're violent or they're whatever. I feel really uh, wary of making that statement because I feel like that sort of violence comes from a deep hurt, a deep disenfranchisement, the economic gap bursting at the seams, the rich just getting richer, the poor getting poorer. Some of the violence that we see play out comes from there. That's really the human most bottom need that is playing out here. Some of that maybe is where Guru comes out of. And I think that's the lens that I was probably looking at. Again, I would say very subconsciously or even unconsciously, because you are really trying to understand a difficult character like Guru in all his complexity. So I was probably thinking of all of this stuff. But yeah, at the front of it is, you know, really an exploration of this complex guy who's dealing with his own sexuality. The exploration of space in your film, in an increasingly crowded world, in a way it resonated with films such as Dolly Kitty and Wo Chamakte Sitare. That too shows precisely this desire to find a foothold in a world that is marked by class desire, class envy and exploitative builders. 
But that's not a question, that's just an observation. But what I want to do is to go back to this question of sexuality. And I want to make a connection with the 2012 Delhi anti-sexual violence movement when Jyoti Singh was fatally raped in a moving bus in 2012 in Delhi. One of the outcomes of this event was that it normalized conversation around the question of rape. So that rape was no longer couched in the vocabulary of dishonor. However, working class and low-income men began to largely get essentialized by the media and the political elite as sexual predators. And these men have come under heightened scrutiny. Their crisis of masculinity is interpreted, as we've been talking about, to be stemming from their response to a sense of defeat that they feel faced with being disenfranchised in a world where certain people are becoming increasingly wealthy and also an increasing number of women accessing public spaces, you know, for education, for job, etc. So these public spaces that historically have tended to be masculinist domains. Guru, however, defies this mainstream projection of low-income men as an unhinged sexual predator and embodies an acute sense of sexual repression, as you talked about. He enacts and performs his sexuality hiding in the bathroom, alone or while he's sexting. So what I find fascinating in your film is the portrayal of the isolation of the Indian youth who hides in the dark entrails of the house, forever in a state of despair, desolation and anxiety. I'd like to know your thoughts on this and also your projection of the central character as an ordinary man who is invisible in mainstream media. Talk about that. Yeah, it's funny, you know, because for me, it was also an investigation of some of the men that you talk about that we eventually hear about. I think when you hear about the dastardly rape that happened in a corner of the city where you live five kilometers away from, at the point that which you hear about that man, you're hearing about it when he has lost all hope of recovering himself from some dark hole that he finds himself in. So you are actually hearing about him at the end of the journey, where at least the first part of his life ends. And we are very fast to dehumanize that man. Of course, it's really, really difficult to find any humanity in someone who is part of such a violent, violatory act to another human being whether it's a man or a woman, I agree that it can be extremely difficult to find empathy. But I think if we just refuse to look beyond that point and just brand that person as a monster, then we are really doing a big disservice to ourselves as a society because we are not trying to find the real reason for why it's happening. And we are just letting the monster, not the human being, but the larger symbolic and representative monsters still exist between us and till we keep doing that rapes will continue to happen and violence will continue to happen around us we won't be in any way closer to the solution to stop any of this from happening again it was not a conscious attempt to connect this to the 2012 incident but since we are talking about it i think my attempt also was to really get to the bottom and ask myself and have a conversation about Where does this violence that can burst out in a 25-year-old boy, where does it truly seed from? Where is it beginning? What is happening 
when it's going from one slowly to three to five to seven before it gets to 10 and you see the 10 because you're seeing it at 10. So where and how is this playing out? And of course it plays out in dark corners. Every rapist that you hear about or for that matter, every serial killer that you hear about, you know, before killing the first person, there is a whole journey that they're on. And if there was an intervention at some point in that journey, then maybe they would not get there. And I really wanted to do a piece where you are witness to that journey and you are witness to all the points in that journey where if this repression or if this, I would even go ahead and equate it to almost like a call for help, you know, if this call for help had been addressed, however difficult this call for help is, but you are seeing it play out. And if at any of these points, this call for help, however fucked up it might seem to us had been addressed, then maybe it would not go to 10. And in fact, within the film, it never really goes to 10. It goes to probably a point where he really comes close to doing something which would have been really irreversible and, and really unforgivable. He comes close to that point and there's almost a journey of some sort of maturity for lack of a better word. As I said earlier, it's a reverse coming of age. It's almost like a giving up. And I think that giving up characterizes almost every man in India, at least in, in our country for sure, I feel like, because this whole integration of uh, this particular family system that we have, you know, with the importance we give to having a home, having a family and having a stable, monogamous partner and having kids, this whole structure... It's a very common journey for a boy to repress their desire and not be able to address it properly and not be able to follow up on whatever this secret life that they have and at some point succumb to the structure that they're opposed with and given. And as a result, I think that sexual repression actually sets in deeper because there is no other way. If it's not going to get addressed, it will just set in deeper and deeper and perhaps you will fall into darker and darker holes. And so you consistently see whether or not we acknowledge it or not. But in the secret lives of people, again, whether it's men or women, there are these deep, dark holes, which are our personal holes, which we call kinks, which we play out in our secret spaces. And we immediately come back to our personal life. I'm not even talking about our public life. It could be your personal life with your spouse. And you come back to that and you almost train yourself to forget what you did when you were probably masturbating and what you were imagining while, while you were in having your personal moment outside of the structural intimate relationship that you're in. So I think all of these playing out the larger setting that human setting that we have around us, which, which doesn't allow us to express our secret lives and they are not even discussed and they're, they're, they're nowhere, nowhere even acknowledged. I think that leads to a completely repressive cycle that, that all of us go through. Men probably go through it slightly more because simply because they have an opportunity to play it out more in a, in a slightly more brazen way. Women anyway are, I think, able to deal with it better because they are trained to anyway be more secretive and they're, you know, sharper with how they deal with their sexual lives. But I think men struggle if they're not able to 
express it in a slightly strong pushy way then they don't know how else to play it out and it becomes a much much deeper and darker hole because it's not being addressed so i think through guru's journey i was also trying to address the idea of masculinity yes and how it plays out for men/boys but also again i i keep going back to it you know again and again also i think it's more human i don't limit it to just the lens of masculinity because i also feel like uh, guru both has a masculine and a feminine side just like chavi has a masculine and a feminine within her or the mother has a very masculine side uh, so so i i feel like you know guru already has a feminine within within him which is probably the side of him that's pushing out for the liberation that's the side that wants the liberation and so there's a fight within him between the masculine and the feminine so again i would take this back to the you know just the purely human struggle of this patriarchal masculine impulse one of the expressions that struck me when i was watching the film was what i took the liberty of referring to as sexual schizophrenia mm-hmm. but i didn't know whether i could use that expression so while i was you know writing down my questions i ended up writing it as some kind of a sexual dislocation sexual desire slash sexual dislocation and here's where i'm coming at it from the post 2012 delhi incident and particularly the post me too movement have surfaced a vocabulary of rights increasingly articulated in terms of sex positivity however the focus on women's expression of their sexualized bodies is mostly on middle class women articulating the autonomy of the sexualized bodies it's a middle class phenomenon critics such as sanjukta sharma make the point that in the post me too world male sexuality is a subject that has somewhat faded into the background and she says you know and i quote her background of online echo chambers as if trying to understand its calibration is an act of dishonesty and political incorrectness so it's interesting it's really fascinating that you bring that you know the articulation or the expression of male sexual desire to the surface in your film now agra in fact embodies therefore this gap through a representation of a specific kind of female character imagined or otherwise because there are two female characters without giving the plot mm-hmm. away right So these two female characters that are projected by mainstream media and mainstream cinema as sexually desirable and who are these women neoliberal women with light skin tone size 0 bodies ideally westernized so the lens of your camera captures and i don't know whether it was by design western mannequins in a crowded bazaar in agra So what I wanted to say is that representation of these women is done in a way that these women will forever remain beyond guru's reach. He can only desire them either in his hallucinations or in his dreams or by looking at this person who will never come out of the cafe, right? And that's when he has a panic attack or some sense of an awareness of his profound sexual inadequacy and his physical undesirability and that's where he bursts into tears. So which is what I'm saying there's a particularly moving scene in this cafe that heightens guru's anxiety as a rejected masculinity. I wonder therefore whether the delusional episodes in guru's lives where he hallucinates mala who's again unattainable stems from his sexual dislocation his cultural schizophrenia. Could you slightly expand on what you mean by sexual dislocation? Sexual dislocation uh in my understanding the way i understand this you desire this woman who you can never have 
I mean, imagine if Guru was a middle class person and he had the same physical attributes. If he was a middle class person or an upper middle class person, he was a doctor and an engineer, he could probably have a much better chance of getting, uh, of attaining a woman that he desires. Where I'm coming from is an interrogation into what happens to uh, whether men or women, when they're face to face with a sexually desirable person that they can never attain, either because right. of their class positionality or because they don't have those physical attributes, right? right. Or a combination yeah. of both, right? Mm. So when something mm. like that happens, but you're internalizing a particular idea of a kind of a person that you want to be with, you want to sleep with, mm. right? But you mm. can never mm. have that. And when he's sexting with this person, the person on the other side of the phone doesn't know what he looks like, right? Sure. Remember, even Preeti, one of the first questions that she asks him relates to the size of his house. Yeah. So class plays a very important role in all these negotiations about sexual encounters, marital encounters, etc. But in the case of Guru, it is further intensified to the extent that he becomes this sexual schizophrenic person where he hallucinates a person. He, he imagines this person is living with him. Yeah, I mean, again, I see, I see why you began with uh, saying why you were a little reluctant to brand it schizophrenia because it's really a thin line. It's a very thin line. I think it's really easy for you to see the film through the lens of madness and, and call him mad and call him schizophrenic. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I, I think the imagination of Mala within the film is representative of something which he aspires for, a, a partner that he aspires for. Again, without quite knowing, uh, he's functioning at a level where he wants this ideal girl. <laughs> and, and it's also, for me, it was interesting because... Uh, Mala is not your typical pretty girl, but for Guru, Mala is the the embodiment of who he can get, who he uh, who the limit of him getting is. You know, she is she is not your conventional beautiful woman, but she she is Guru's idea of the most beautiful girl that he can get. You know, so his his imagination also has that limitation. So you know, so. So yes, it, it 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 very much was designed in that way where you see a representation of his unbridled desire if he could get what he wanted. And of course, the, the play out of the girl that he meets in the cafe who clearly thinks he's ugly and uh, he probably doesn't fulfill some of the physical criteria of someone who she would see herself in bed with and she probably walks away because of that and that is what breaks uh, his heart it's the realization at that point that i'm not acceptable in ways more than one you know it's not just about how i choose to express myself uh, sexually because we were a thing while we were on chat but suddenly now that we met face to face there are other things at play and there are other transactions at play which is what the heartbreak of that gets him to such a vulnerable moment where he is just probably craving any sort of solace with any human being 
any sort of contact and i think what happens as a result of that heartbreak is what we see play out in the next scene yeah which for me is the peak of pacing the horror of how this plays out within the ambit of the film because from there you slowly start to see him connecting with that other more practical side within him and you see a turn around and you see that he starts to be less and less innocent about how he sees the world about him around him and you start to slowly see himself educate himself about all the transactionality that he needs to learn to be able to reach the end of the film so yeah i agree with that characterization the film is shot in a way that at times is uh, reminiscent of found footage films would that be fair to say and what's fascinating are the ways in which sound or sounds whether they are private or public collapse into each other you know sounds of traffic and conversations and music and the washing machine and everything which in a very significant way heighten the atmosphere of claustrophobia and dislocation or physical sense of dislocation and moreover while your film subverts or goes completely against the grain of mainstream indian cinema or mainstream cinema per se you nonetheless borrow certain aspects of mainstream cinema in particular when it comes to the centering of the songs to surface a character's interiority you know you literally right. repurpose some of the 1980s and 1990s bollywood songs talk about that yeah I wouldn't go so far as saying uh, the aesthetic was found footage but uh, yeah we were deliberately trying to build an aesthetic where it it feels like something that has been uh, filmed more like moments caught in time and space and and feels uh, more like more akin to traditional documentary than to some of the fiction uh, fiction pieces that we so it's not very composed and we weren't trying to be very compository with our frames we wanted that sort of chaos within the way it was shot because texturally that's what guru is feeling one of the things that i was scared about alka when i started writing this film was that uh, again i'm i'm going to take a small detour to this because i was really scared when i started writing the film because i thought i want to do this film about sexual repression and sexuality but do i even know guru to the extent that i want to portray do i know sexual repression to that extent you know because i'm slightly more privileged and and i had been of course i had felt a certain delayed sexual majority and sexual repression myself but i was questioning myself and saying utna degree tak kya main janta hu jitna main bol raha hu ki guru hai aur jo jo wo karne wala hai film mein so i had to you know go on this journey myself and i decided that i needed to experience in safe ways without hurting another human being and without putting myself in difficult situations i had to find ways to to understand what he really was feeling if i wanted to construct this time and space honestly you know i didn't want this to feel like an external piece ki बाहर से एक ग्राफ बनाया ड्रामेटिक स्टोरी बनाई आया एक्ट वन एक्ट टू एक्ट थ्री आई रियली वॉन्ट टू अंडरस्टैंड वॉट दिस बॉय वॉज फीलिंग एंड आई गिव यू अ स्मॉल एग्जाम्पल ऑफ हाउ आई ट्राई टू डू दैट फॉर यू नो क्लोज टू फाइव और सिक्स मंथ्स आई वॉज इन सेक्स चैट रूम्स माई सेल्फ समटाइम्स पोजिंग एज वेमेन समटाइम्स पोजिंग एज एज माई सेल्फ समटाइम्स पोजिंग एज अनदर बॉय एंड आई वॉज जस्ट ट्राइंग टू 
come as close to imbibing the feeling that comes with that sort of uh, sexual storm and i realized by the end of my if you want to call it research or whatever but but i realized there was a fracture and there was a noise and there was a chaos guru was feeling a complete noise chaos and a fractured existence because if you are so sexually repressed there is almost a fracture between your public and your secret life our public lives and our secret lives are often negotiated by our private lives you know that that becomes the bridge for us to be able to negotiate both and we play out some of our secret uh, chosen secret lives in our private life and we train ourselves to behave a certain way in our public lives through our private lives so there is this certain bridge but what i realized was that as soon as you develop this degree of a sexual storm the private life almost disappears you're only functioning between the public life and the secret life and there is a really big fracture because then you don't really have any private life at all as much as that's the thing that you're wanting that's the thing that you desire but that's the thing that becomes most absent and as a result when i arrived at this feeling and i realized it's this fracture you know everything about the visual design about the oral design of the film that you see is completely driven by the need to faithfully create this fracture that a boy like this would feel so a lot of the visual design that you see in the film is is intended to to create that slight feeling of uneasiness and and noise and that goes for the sound design also as you were saying you know there are so many drones in the, in the film and and we wanted to also through the soundscape reflect and you know the use of colors was designed towards that because i wanted the audience to have some of their me time inside his head it's almost like you're in his head and you're literally seeing the chaos inside his head and for a while you can truly attempt to be inside that head and with the sound design you know with all the drones that appear and reappear with mala every time you see mala the drones almost become her and there's almost no background score in the film till almost halfway through till him when he actually stalks preeti and reaches the internet cafes when you have the background score in the film for the first time so as much as the drones are the noise in his head they are also the pure noise in his head and for me the music actually represents the beginning of the coming of age which in itself is some sort of defeat so as music enters the film you have this lyricality yes you're moving away from the strains of the drones within the film but in essence you are also losing some of the sharp honesty in the film and you're moving towards this comfortable almost nostalgic really safe space of music and part of that music and here i'm separating the background score from the use of uh, some of the 90s songs that you mentioned that sort of nostalgia with the songs builds that slightly safe space because that era was also full of some of the fading musicality from the quality of music that we had so you know it had a remnant of some of what we did have at its peak and the beatification of music was still to come so that 90s late 80s to mid 90s was that phase where we were transitioning from one that one phase of the music to the to second one 
so of course you know in a certain class the reason you keep hearing this music again and again and again you sit in an auto rickshaw you go to a particular shop you hear a lot of 90s music and i think it's because it makes you feel really safe and it maintains the nostalgia and some of that music transitioning was to support that safe space that both guru and preeti feel for each other and of course you know leading to the culminatory piece of music where you see the house getting built that for me was the real reason why i was making the film in the first place because i wanted to you know subvert the making of that house and there was nothing better than doing four four and a half minute anti bollywood piece there where instead of the song and dance number you are really seeing all the hypocrisy of a house getting built that is empty that doesn't really have real connected human beings living within it but just a set of transactional dreams so so yeah some of the music some of the sound design was sort of built around those ideas beautifully said i was struck by guru's mother who performs this mini dance in front of her like a shrine she's made for herself yeah i don't know whether there's something more to be read in that well there's the temple in the film you see the temple in the film four or five times you see this space where the mistress she has a little shrine on the top floor where she keeps praying and then when guru has that moment when the dental chair finally comes into the house and you see him lying on his bed in the corridor in that red light right after that you see the temple turned upside down and then you see the mother also picking up that little idol as they prepare the house as they're constructing that house buying a little idol and then finally installing a mini temple in her house so i think it was also my exploration of where the mother is going now where does she head once the house is made so she is lost her sexuality right at the beginning right because the husband has walked away to another woman and he's fucking her every every night probably right on top of her head and the mother's battle first begins with trying to regain her husband to the extent that she says tum niche aao niche aao and the slapping becomes almost like a sexual act you know oh you touched me after so many days again and the mistress starts crying when the slap actually happens so you don't know what quite happened but the battle for the man in the house plays out in strange ways you're seeing the battle for the man play out but we were also wondering as we were writing that once the mother accepts the mistress in ways more than one where does this journey take her because if she is almost renouncing sexuality because her sexuality resides within the man who is upstairs and the man who has been who has been snatched from her right and so she if she is trying to get the man back and if at some point because she has to accept the mistress because she is her dream of making the dental clinic is connected to now the mistress and now if she has to accept the mistress she has to accept the husband being with the mistress so now in a sense if she is renouncing sex in a way or that side of her being where does this woman go and coupled with that we have the interesting sort of seating of this mistress within this house who is at least externally that is how she constantly perceives herself probably that she is the illegitimate person in the house right so she 
tries to legitimize her own existence by having a temple or having a shrine where she prays every day and that makes her existence slightly pure so for me also this strange transference of the temple from the mistress to the mother by the end of the film said a lot about the mother's next and eventual lover now in the new house being god because you know there is no other physical amorous sort of engagement anymore to play with so i'd like to talk about portrayal of nudity and love making are you anxious about the film being censored in india um i hope it's not and i think a film like this would completely lose the point lose its point if it were to be shown in some sort of censored way so i would be completely against it and uh, to be honest i haven't even considered that possibility because i think the film wouldn't work without its sexuality because that's what it's about that sounds wonderful um what's your next project that you're working on so i'm in post production now on my next feature which is called dispatch and uh, it stars manoj bajpayee and it's produced by ronnie skuwala it's set in bombay and it's a film about a crime journalist who finds himself going increasingly defunct in a print world that is fast turning digital and uh, he's desperate for the next big story that he needs to break and while on that journey due to his own personal greed and his sort of amorous relationship with his own self he ends up getting involved in something much bigger than he had at any point bargained for and it's about his odyssey as he tries to deal with this new world that he's entering into that sounds wonderful thank you so much for talking with me kanu it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure the same here same for me too thank you for having me The production assistance for this episode was provided by the Language Learning Center, University of Washington Seattle, and the student research assistant Anaga Dirisala.